Second Amendment in 1791. Exercise your rights in a safe way. The fact is, Congress has zero constitutional authority to write, enact, or enforce any gun control law. Politicians that infringe on our God-given rights. He calls them out. He's not here to play. Thank you, Norm Maynard. And you heard the man. Let's go. We are locked and loaded on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. And if you're a regular listener, you already know what this podcast is all about. Firearms, the Second Amendment, and all things pertaining thereto. And you know me also. I am Royce, your also benevolent, lovable, huggable, squeezable host, realigning the constitutional conscience in regards to the Second Amendment. Thousands of listeners at a time. I tell you what, got the stats back from my main podcast hub. That's the hub that disperses my podcast. I, I simply upload to one place and it sends it out to all the other major podcast platforms and venues. And man, you guys are blowing it up out there. Thank you so much. Literally up now to around 10 different countries, 35 different states and 145 American cities. Thank you. Thank you all. I'm telling you what, just you guys rock. I really appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you lending me your time and listen to me rant and ramble on uh, about the things that I do. And yes, I'm my worst critic. I, a lot of times I'll go back and listen to my podcast to really critique myself. And I don't know how y'all put up with me, but I really appreciate it. I really do. Also, bear in mind that as I am making this podcast, I am battling a major inner ear infection. Hasn't hampered my speech yet, but man, I'm walking around like I've been slamming whiskey or something. So just keep me in your thoughts and prayers over the next couple of days, and I would certainly appreciate that. Big shout out to all my listeners in Florida, Kentucky, Michigan, and North Carolina, because we're going to be talking about you guys today talking about a merry little infringement tour through the states and those states are featured prominently in this uh, in this episode so hang on here we go in florida here yes my home state and where the majority of the cities in america are that are listening to the podcast and downloading it regularly uh, florida is still number one and thank you florida you guys kick butt but let's start here in Florida. There's some bills that are being put before and proposed before the Florida State Legislature. 
And this is an article I'm about to get into and have some fun with, written by Gina Jordan, uh, writing for WFSU. I'm not sure if there's a connection to actually Florida State University. Yes, go Knowles. But it doesn't matter. What we're talking about is the bills that are being proposed. Because the title of the article is is, Bills Designed to Promote Gun Safety and Loosen Gun Restrictions Are Back Before the Florida Legislature. And I love the way some of these liberals, you know, write their titles. And, oh, some of these bills promote gun safety. And guess what she's really talking about? That's right. Gun control, of course. And... Loosen gun restrictions. In other words, the antithesis of gun safety. You've heard me talk about before. You know the terminology. Gun safety means gun control. Gun safety means more infringement. Period. End of story. So let's get into the article. Claremont Representative Anthony Sabatini, great guy, by the way. I've had the honor of sitting with him uh, on a uh, on a panel of for a Second Amendment forum back a couple of years ago and man we had a great time there in Cocoa, florida great guy and a staunch constitutionalist so claremont representative anthony sabatini has several bills designed to loosen gun restrictions the proposals go further than florida's republican leaders have so far been willing to go since the parkland school shooting democrats seeking to curb gun violence Face headwinds in the Republican-controlled Florida legislature. Uh, Ma'am, just so you know, they face headwinds because they're not seeking to curb gun violence, contrary to what you just said. What they're seeking to do, ma'am, is disarm Americans, American conservatives in particular. So I'm glad I could clear that up for you. All right. On the flip side, in other words, the antithesis thereof, Republican proposals seeking to loosen gun restrictions may also face pushback. All right, let me clear that up for you too, Miss and Miss Gina. And they're not seeking to loosen gun restrictions. They're seeking to repeal illegal laws that flagrantly violate the Second and Fourteenth Amendments. So once again, I'm glad I could clear that up for you, ma'am. South Florida Democrats took part last week in a virtual roundtable about gun safety legislation. And here's some comments from a gentleman who I've given a serious shooting straight beat down to before. And I sent him a copy of the radio program that I did regarding him and his ridiculous gun control ideas. I never got anything back, so I'm going to presume he never even looked at it or read it. Anyway, Mr. Ted... D-E-U-T-C-H. Is that douche or Deutsch? Oh, okay. We'll go with Deutsch. Um, He said, people often ask whether Congress is doing enough, whether the White House is doing enough, whether our state governments have done enough. The answer to that question is no, undeniably no. Nobody has done or is doing enough. Let me go ahead and translate that for you, okay? We haven't stolen everybody's guns out of their hands yet. We haven't confiscated everybody's arms. So, no, we haven't done enough yet. That's that's what it comes down to. So allow me to readjust everybody's thinking back along the lines of the Constitution and reality. First of all, including you, Mr. Deutsch, um, government 
is utterly incapable of doing anything to quote-unquote curb gun violence, sir. They cannot keep anybody safe by passing a law, and they really have no power to protect the citizenry at all, period. And you know why? Because you, Mr. Ted Deutsch, uh, Deutsch, you and all of your fellow representatives and legislators, you have no power over the wills of men. God, God, I can clear that up for you, too. So there's no such thing as enough of anything you can do, Mr. Deutsch. You don't have that kind of power. Back to the article. For the fourth year, Senator Tina Polsky, a Democrat from Boca Raton, is trying to pass a law. Here it is again. This, this keeps popping up, doesn't it? That requires the safe storage of firearms to help keep them away from kids. People look at the stats on kids harming themselves and or others accidentally with firearms. They're very, 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 very low, which means there's really no requirement for such a law. And the insidious little secret, of course, is they want to make it so that your guns are locked up and you don't have access to them. That's right. How do I know that? Because Democrats always pass laws that disarm the people while coddling and enabling criminals. That's what they do. So, just like when they passed the Gun-Free Zones Act in 1990, yes, signed by H.W. Bush, uh, what that essentially did was enable every single mass murder by gun since 1990 by creating large target-rich environments in which predators can operate without fear of armed resistance. You're welcome. So, Tina Polsky, she said, I naively thought this should be a fairly easy step to take when I entered the legislature four years ago. What she's insinuating is, you people that own guns are too stupid to keep them out of the hands of your children. So, uh, I guess we're going to have to just act here. She said, we're not taking anyone's guns, just requiring that you do the responsible thing. Uh, Ma'am, we already do, okay? And we don't need the government defining what is responsible when it comes to the keeping and bearing of our arms or being responsible with them in our homes and keeping them out of the hands of our children that are too small to know how to use them, we're responsible enough to teach our children how to use them when they become old enough to use them. And that way they don't do something stupid with one because they have been taught real gun safety. Okay. Another proposal would ban ghost guns. Firearms that can be pieced together by amateurs at home. Ooh, amateurs at home. Hey, let me stun you with some facts here. Your humble host is one of those amateurs who has built a couple of AR-15s. Yep, and I'm an amateur. I don't do it for a living. I sell those things for a living, but I don't build them for a living. Um, what, what is it exactly you have against me, a law-abiding citizen, building my own AR-15? Hmm? Uh, what does it matter to you if, if the builder of the firearm is a lawful citizen? Why do you have a problem with it? Because uh, newsflash here, lady, lots of Americans already build their own guns at home, and they've been doing it. They've been doing it for decades. Matter of fact, all the way back to the Revolutionary War. So what's your problem with it? Christina Hunchofsky, 
Democrat from Coconut Creek. She said this is a really important this is really important because this is a case where now our technology has kind of outgrown our laws. How so? Hmm? And by the way, the laws governing firearms ownership and firearms use, the real ones, the ones that actually do something to keep people from being harmed accidentally with them and also on purpose with them, it's called a moral compass. Yes. Matter of fact, you could also just go ahead and hold up the Ten Commandments. That's what keeps people like me from murdering other people. That's what keeps people like me from committing armed robbery with my firearms. That's right. Because there are laws already in place that say, Royce, thou shalt not steal. Royce, thou shalt not kill. So what is, the, what is your issue here? You're, you're saying that our technology has kind of outgrown our laws. How so? How has technology superseded our laws? Oh, unless you're talking about those illegal infringement laws. Oh, now that's a different story. And we don't care how far technology supersedes those laws, because as far as we're concerned, those laws are null and void, just like Thomas Jefferson and so many of the other founders said, and as so many court rulings have stated, okay? Just to, again, help clear that up for you, all right? So... Her district includes Parkland, and she was the city's uh, mayor when the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School happened in 2018. While the gun used by the shooter was purchased legally, other school shootings have been carried out using, here's here's that buzzword, ghost guns. Really? How many? I could find one. But what does it matter if the guns were purchased legally? illegally or built at home in the garage the issue isn't where the gun came from or who built it or who bought it the issue is who used it unlawfully that's the issue and you guys haven't you gals too have a problem it seems holding the actual shooter accountable as i said in a couple of podcasts ago Hunschofsky said, someone can go online right now, buy an 80% finished firearm. They can be told how to pay for it with cash so it can't be traced. This firearm kit will be sent to them. They will have all the tools to assemble it. And now they will have a firearm that didn't need to go through a background check and is untraceable because it has no serial number. Okay, you don't have all your facts straight, number one. But again, Even if you did, so what? The issue, again, is not that the gun was built at home. The issue is the character of the user. Miss Gina continues, advocates, uh, let me go ahead and interject here. What she really means is flaming communists are also promoting background checks for anyone buying ammunition. A A proposal called Jamie's Law, which I've talked about here on this program before, is named for 14-year-old Jamie Gutenberg, a victim of the Parkland shooting. Mr. Fred Gutenberg, her father, he said, if we want to do something to reduce gun violence, to reduce the risks of gun violence, to reduce the casualties of gun violence, let's make it harder for those who intend harm to buy the ammunition to do so. 
How is passing a law going to do that, Mr. Gutenberg? Especially if they break into someone's home and steal their ammo. Hmm? Did the law stop them? Again, sir, laws do not stop bad people from doing bad things. And by the way, how is that working out there in California where residents have to go undergo a background check for ammo? How's that working out out there? Has it made any dent, especially in San Jose where it was implemented first? And I ask rhetorically, sir, Google the stats yourself. And Mr. Gutenberg, my, my sincere condolences for the loss of your daughter. Might I also remind you there are multiple other grieving families out there who lost children, and they are not attempting to use their deceased children to pry our firearms from our hands and infringe our rights, including Andrew Pollack. And there's a, a couple of others, too, that are saying flat out, we wish that there had been an armed teacher there or something, but the kids were left undefended. That was the problem, sir. It wasn't the AR-15. The problem, sir, was the place was undefended. and had It had been so since 1990. So again, my sincere condolences for the loss of your daughter. On the other hand, I can't help but say this. I thoroughly resent you telling me that as a result of the action of the scumbag who murdered your daughter along with 33 others, that I somehow share guilt in his crimes simply because I own the same weapons as the one that he used. I, I'm, tr I'm trying to be as delicate as possible here, but I, I'm, I'm frustrated beyond measure with people like yourself using a victim status to assign false guilt to people who don't deserve it. And I'm one of those people, sir. I reject that false guilt that you attempt to lay at our feet. And I can't help it, but I find it really repulsive that you would use the memory of your daughter and your victim status to constantly assail the God-given rights of millions of lawful, responsible, innocent Floridians, sir, and they're just as innocent, and I am just as innocent as your daughter was when that madman walked in there and began shooting people, sir. Please let that sink in. Back to the article. After the shooting in Parkland, the GOP-controlled legislature took action on guns, like banning bump stocks. Okay, why did that little scumbag actually use a bump stock? I already know the answer, and you do too. No, he didn't. These devices can enable a semi-automatic firearm to fire bullets more rapidly. There's now a federal ban on bump stocks. Yeah, well, with my index finger and my thumb and my belt loop, I can mimic the same rate of fire as a bump stock. Yes, or as a fully automatic M4 submachine gun. The legislature also set up a means for keeping guns away from anyone deemed a threat to themselves or others. Yes, that was with that rank abomination and violation of the Fourth Amendment known as red flag laws. And it raised the age to buy guns from 18 to 21. I know because my oldest son, who was 20 years old, woke up with the right to go purchase a firearm, a long gun, that morning, that Tuesday morning, and by that evening, he no longer had it, according to the Florida State Legislature. Oh, he still had it, but for him to exercise it, he would have to take on the might of the state of Florida. 
In contrast to these moves by the legislature and proposals filed by Democrat communists, I added the communists, an effort by Representative Anthony Sabatini, Republican out of Claremont, would significantly reduce gun restrictions. No, what it would do, again, I say, is repeal unconstitutional laws and infringements. He says, I'm always going to fight for pro-Second Amendment legislation. We've got to make sure people are able to access firearms when they want for their own self-defense, and that means anywhere they go. Sabatini has tried for years to relax Florida's gun laws. Well, Florida's gun laws don't even deserve to exist, okay? One of his proposals would allow people with concealed weapons licenses to be armed at legislative meetings. Sabatini has another bill that would allow guns on college campuses. A correction, that bill would force the state to stop infringing the rights of adults to defend themselves on college campuses. Once again, I'm happy to clear that up for you. That effort has been repeatedly thwarted by former uh, Florida State uh, University President John Thrasher, and you remember that scumbag's name who is also a former Speaker of the Florida House and a former Republican state senator. Thrasher noted his opposition during his final FSU State uh, State of the University address before he retired last year. He said, I want to make the pledge to you one more time that I've made every year that I will continue to fight any kind of campus carry legislation. We've all experienced enough heartache to know that more guns on campus do not make us safer. And that excruciatingly ignorant statement springs from the factless presumptions, by the way, that, number one, guns equal crime, violence, injury, and death. That's what guns do. Guns, unless they're in the hands, and this is the automatic implication, unless they're in the hands of police officers and soldiers, then they are nothing but tools for crime, regardless of who's holding them. Again, I say, remember, they make no distinction between the law-abiding public and evil people who have no problem violating the law. So, they also, that statement also is a presumption that lawful students and faculty are utterly incapable of using them safely, responsibly, and lawfully. And it also presumes that the freedom to defend ourselves with firearms is completely contingent upon the misuse of them by criminals and or the magnanimous blessings of the state. So, hopefully, I'm readjusting the constitutional conscience here. Hopefully, I'm realigning everybody's thought processes therewith, because that's what needs to happen. I'm so tired of all this stuff that so many people, yes, good people, good Second Amendment proponents, they've swallowed it. And they parrot it without, uh, without scrutinizing it in the light of constitutional principle. So, if you live in Florida, you need to be in, in contact with your state representatives. You need, to be, you need to be in contact with them regularly. You need to blow up their email box if necessary and be polite. Don't be an idiot. Don't make threats, because that's, number one, it's, it's illegal. Number two, it's stupid. But you tell them in very firm language, hey, you guys forget, number one, you've forgotten the Constitution, obviously, and you forget who you work for. So you better unscrew yourselves, or hopefully we'll be voting you out of office. But one thing's for sure. 
we're in, I, I don't know about you. I'm at the place where I'm not giving one more square inch of any of my rights. And if there's more laws passed that say I can't do something, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. I really, that's where I'm at. I'm not a threat to anybody. My guns are only a threat to criminals trying to harm me or tyrants trying to disarm me. They're not a threat to any innocent person out there. Let's take a little break and talk about my good buddy, Bill Stasek. By the way, keep billing your prayers. Uh, he was helping to teach a class with my our mutual friend, Ken Corley, last week. And man, uh, something happened that I harp on all the time with instructors, and that is you watch these guys, if their shirt starts coming out of their pants and getting down into the holster, that shirt can get into the trigger well, and when they go to holster, they can have a discharge. And Bill had caught him doing that a couple of times and warned him about it. And sure enough, Bill was standing behind the young man, and the guy went to holster, and sure enough, bang, a round bounced off the floor and hit Bill right in the face. He's okay. It didn't penetrate. Thank you, Lord. But it hit him between the upper lip and his nose. And yes, he was bleeding for a while. It took about four hours to stop the bleeding. So keep billing your prayers. That's just one of the hazards of being an instructor. I've had people barely miss me with rounds before, too. It's not fun. But make sure you get out and you stop out to WJS Guns in Merritt Island and tell Bill you're praying for him. Be right back. My buddies out at WJS Guns in Merritt Island, Bill Stasak and Dalton and Troy and the gang out there do a fine job taking care of all their customers, including law enforcement officers who want to buy blue label firearms. He's a blue label dealer for multiple manufacturers. Also, very female friendly. They do a great job serving all of their customers. They will get you squared away and well regulated in your Second Amendment rights. He offers handguns, long guns, a great selection of 1791 gun leather brand holsters, also body armor, uh, ammunition. Uh, magazines. What are you looking for? Bill's got you covered out there at WJS Guns. Check him out at WJSGuns.com. If you want to do some fishing, he's got you covered with fishing tackle. Bill is a total outdoor store. WJSGuns.com. Check him out there. Do make sure you tell him you heard about him on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Yes, indeed. Make sure you tell him that you heard about him on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Todd Centers out in Kentucky. Remember, I was giving shout outs to Kentucky. Well, Todd is a regular listener, him, he and his son, Daniel, and they regularly listen to the podcast. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing it around. But Todd sent me an article, him being a Kentucky native, and it it definitely affects him. And this is an article by James, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob Ryan said Kentucky back, uh, Kentucky's background checks for gun owners stand out. Now, you say, well, everybody goes through a background check. You know, all gun owners do. Uh, just when you hear this, this is not your average willy-nilly background check. said, for years, Kentucky has led the nation in the number of firearms-related background checks processed by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. There's a reason for that, and it's not a gun culture in overdrive. Since January, the FBI has processed more than 2.9 million background checks in Kentucky, according to data from the agency. 
Each check does not necessarily represent a firearm purchase. However, background checks are commonly used as a measure of gun sales nationwide. But outside of higher than average gun sales in the state, one reason Kentucky reports such a high number of background checks annually, more than double the number of Texas and California combined so far this year, is a policy that requires automatic monthly background checks on every holder of concealed carry permits. Did you get that? Monthly background checks on every holder of a concealed carry permit. Now, I want you to keep in mind something. Kentucky is a permitless state, but a lot of people in Kentucky still will get the Kentucky permit because it offers reciprocity in, in the surrounding states. But this is ridiculous. And Kentucky appears to be the only state in America with such a policy. Back to the article. Kentucky has a population of about 4.4 million people, according to U.S. Census data. For November, the state's firearm sales were just lower than those of Louisiana. With 35,800 background checks at a population of about 4.6 million and just higher than, than it is in Oregon, where there are 25,400 background checks among a population of 3.9 million. Kentucky conducts monthly checks to ensure law enforcement officials maintain up-to-date information regarding who is eligible to possess firearms, said Kentucky State uh, Police Spokesman Sergeant Michael Webb. And this is where my blood pressure is going to start rising, so stand by. He said if someone has issued a concealed carry permit several years ago and they commit an offense afterward, how would we know that if we weren't doing checks on it? We think it's in the best interest of the safety of the public. There's the buzzword right there. We're going to keep Kentuckians safe by running monthly background checks on the most law-abiding demographic in America, and yes it is, even over and above police officers, by running background checks on them every 30 days. Let that sink in. Webb said it's important to keep track of those individuals. Why is that, sir? Huh? Why is it so important to keep track of them? You know what you sound like? It sounds like you are, it's almost like you're implying that they're on the same level as child molesters, mm -hmm. sex offenders. That's, what, that's, that's, what it, that's, that's the way that's coming across. We have to keep track of these concealed carriers. I, that is offensive to the nth degree, and the people of Kentucky should sue that sheriff for the implied slander. State law mandates that upon revocation of a concealed carry permit, the commissioner of the state police must order a peace officer to personally seize the permit from the ineligible holder or direct the ineligible permit holder to surrender the license to the sheriff's department within two business days. Okay, uh, first of all, what if, what if they didn't get the permit? Huh? What if, they, what if they didn't get the permit and they got charged with some sort of a crime? Hmm? What do you do then? I mean, if you're going to be consistent across the board, and by the way, if they're too dangerous to carry a gun, then aren't they too dangerous to own one? Oh, why do you not take their guns too? Hmm? 
Oh, what? You mean that might violate their Fourth Amendment rights? Uh, you mean like red flag laws do? Huh? Failure to surrender a suspended or revoked license as ordered is a Class A misdemeanor, according to a state statute. So apparently Kentucky doesn't really assume these people are dangerous or it would be a felony. This is simply another control tactic over the rights of the people. Back to the article. It's unclear how proactive state law enforcement agencies are regarding the removal of permits and firearms from residents who are deemed ineligible to possess them. Kentucky state police officials failed to answer multiple requests to detail their processes for responding to instances where background checks prove someone could not be in possession of or should not be in possession of a firearm they also declined to answer questions relating to how often if ever officers are dispatched to remove firearms or permits from ineligible reference uh, uh, residents i'm sorry so again the demographic the demographic here that kentucky is monitoring like a bunch of pedophiles is the one that has sought to obtain the state's permission, the so-called legal route, and not only be in compliance with their home state, but also to be in compliance with other states' laws. In other words, their law-abiding people. Again, I say, concealed carriers have been statistically proven to be the most law-abiding demographic of society in America, over and above even police officers. Are you doing background checks like that on your police officers, too? Hmm? Oh, by the way, is the state government also doing background checks on all the people carrying without a permit? Well, no, of course not, because you don't have a list of their names. Hmm. So why then are they wasting time and money doing monthly background checks on those who got their permit? Secondly, if you're going to treat licensed concealed carriers like potential criminals, why not go ahead and just put ankle monitors on them, huh? I mean, you're going to do their background check monthly. Why not go ahead and strap an RFID location device on their ankle while you're at it, right? And by the way, here's another pertinent question, and it's asked purely rhetorically, of course. Why is the same scrutiny not being applied to known criminals in Kentucky, especially when Kentucky boasts a 46.4% recidivism rate. In other words, people go into prison and they come out and 46.4% of them go back in. That means 53.6% of criminals uh, served that, that serve time are back on the streets. Why aren't monthly background checks being run on them instead of the lawful, responsible, concealed carriers who yielded to an illegal licensing scam by the, by the state they live in in order to gain the permission to freely exercise rights they were born with. You know, this brings us to a very infuriating conclusion that Kentucky treats ex-cons with less suspicion than licensed concealed carriers. Did you catch that? The state of Kentucky treats ex-cons with less suspicion than licensed, lawful, responsible, concealed carriers. By the way, how many concealed carriers in Kentucky have suddenly gone off the deep end and become violent against society? Well, there's been a couple, believe it or not. Yeah, 
I'm going to tell you how many after we hear about my friends out at shootingclasses.com. Shootingclasses.com. If you are a firearms instructor, that's the only logical place to run your firearms business from. Shootingclasses.com. You can set up your page there, set up your profile, set up your classes, take payments there. Your certificates are auto-generated. Rosters are auto-generated. And also sends emails out to your students before the class, reminding them at least a week or two out, they have a class coming up. And uh, I can't find any other platform out there where it makes sense to run your business from if you're a firearms instructor. Everything's right there. Even, even if you want to print your financial reports come tax time, it's all right there at shootingclasses.com. If you're a student, uh, set up an account out there and you get matched up with some serious, serious firearms instructors. Men like David Boone Benton, Israel Matos, Chris Tonto Ferranto and guys like that, Bill Orndorff, Bruce Corey. Those are the guys that actually founded shootingclasses.com. It is, I'll tell you what, it's genius. And it simply doesn't make sense to try to run your business from any other platform. Shootingclasses.com. Great people out there. Great platform. If you're an instructor, get on shootingclasses.com. And so I put the question to you again. How many concealed carriers in Kentucky have suddenly gone off the deep end or done something felonious after they they got a permit? Okay, I got the stats right here. You ready? Eleven. Eleven in eleven years. Eleven out of the 400,000 plus permit holders in Kentucky since 2008 through 2019 11 11 that's a whopping okay here's here's the percentage ready that's a whopping 0.003 percent of all concealed carry permit holders in kentucky that does not even appear on a pie chart so again i ask rhetorically of course why the focus on the most law-abiding demographic of society. And how, in anybody's mind, does this pass for keeping the public safer? I guess a better question would be, why does the state of Kentucky assume that this is just another part of the price that lawful citizens have to pay in order to freely exercise their God-given rights? Why do you assume that? Why do you assume that we just have to accept that? No, I don't live in Kentucky, but if I did, I'd be raising sand with you boys. Why do you think lawful keepers and bearers are required to pay any price you decide to stack upon us if we want to freely exercise our rights? Why? Hmm? Is that the only way the state can ensure their public safety? Again, that was a rhetorical question. Yes, indeed. If you've ever heard one. So inevitably, there's going to be somebody listening out there that says, so you just think anybody should be able to just pick up a gun and carry it anytime they want. Well, then the criminals could do that. Well, guess what? Criminals are already doing that. Mm-hmm. Shocker. They're the only ones that are truly carrying constitutionally already. <laughs> yeah. So 
Yes, I think if you're a law-abiding citizen, you should not have to ask the state's permission to carry a gun. You shouldn't have to undergo undergo even a background check. You shouldn't have to undergo monthly background checks like they do in Kentucky. You should be able to pick up that gun, put it in your holster. Yes, you better get some training. Yeah, I don't think the state should mandate it, but yes, you better get some training. I think your common sense should mandate that you get some training and dictate that you do. And if you've got any brains at all, you're going to do that. And I'm not talking about just standing on a on a still line and punching holes in paper bad guys who are standing there uh, with a full front face. That's not how bad guys work, okay? Yes, get more training. Get as much training as you can. But the state shouldn't be the arbiter over who's trained enough to carry a firearm, okay? By the way, you heard me talk about the American Police Hall of Fame here on this program. Honored to be associated with them. They, I tell you what, there's people up there, men and women alike. And yes, a couple of them in wheelchairs and handicapped. They get out there on Fridays and shoot the tactical practical where my buddy Gary Weeks gets out there and sets up a course of fire. You have to move through the various rooms and it's live fire and you have to have spare magazines and you have to go around the corners properly and you have to put three shots in each bad guy without hitting innocent people. And I will tell you right now, there are people out there, regular Joes, regular Janes, that I would go into a gunfight with long before I'd go into a gunfight with even a police officer. Now, I'm not putting police officers down, but I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of those people can't hit the broadside of a barn. And I know I've shot with some of them. Of course, then again, there's a whole lot of them that can hit the broadside of the barn. As a matter of fact, probably shoot the knot holes out of the wood on the broadside of the barn. That being said, they, if you are, a lawful citizen, you should be able to pick up a gun and put it in your holster or put it in your glove compartment. And if a police officer pulls you over, all he or she simply has to do is, hey, run a check on this person because they do it anyway. Oh, but if you got the permit, it makes it easier on them. Well, believe it or not, it, it's not the responsibility of lawful citizens to make it easier on police officers. No offense. I think they've got a hard job. Yes. I'd like to make it, make it as easy as possible. But when you start licensing my rights back to me now, nope, got to draw a line there. I'm sorry. Now in Detroit, and by the way, big shout out to all of you out there in Michigan. Thank you for listening. Got a lot of listeners up there, and I really appreciate you guys tuning in on a regular basis. In Detroit, this is an article by Cam Edwards. Detroit, now this is, I tell you what, these are some public defenders that I can definitely support. Unlike Bolshevik, Bolshevik Binger and and. Communist Krauss that tried to prosecute Kyle Rittenhouse, these guys got some good sense about them. Detroit public defenders demand an end to gun possession prosecutions. Good. And, well, you think that anybody should be able to carry a gun, including felons? No, because if they catch a felon carrying a gun, they're still going to arrest them. What he's talking about is innocent Americans who simply want to carry a firearm for their own defense and not have to wait for the permission of the state are carrying guns and they're being arrested for having a gun. Haven't done anything wrong. No felonies in their past. They're simply arrested because they're carrying a gun without the state's oh so magnanimous and gracious permission. 
This is the article by Cam Edwards, taking a cue from colleagues in New York and Chicago. A group of public defenders and activists in Detroit, Michigan, are calling on Wayne County prosecutor Kim Worthy to stop prosecuting anyone charged with simply possessing a firearm without a license. Good. According to the activists, arrests for carrying a concealed firearm without a license, in other words, freely exercising your rights without the state's permission, have soared in Wayne County since the start of the pandemic. Additionally, data released by the public defenders and community activists show there's been a stark racial disparity in enforcement with black residents making up 97% of those arrested for the non-violent possessory crime how many times have i told you on this program all gun control is rooted in racial bigotry or religious bigotry yes or even or in uh uh nationalist bigotry whatever the case may be uh, it's always bigotry it's one group thinking that well you don't have the right to own the same guns i do Chanta Parker, Managing Director of the Neighborhood Defender Service, she stated, uh, We noticed that the majority of the people who were being arrested were black people, and we saw this trend continue as time passed. As the pandemic raged on, alarm bells went off for us. We thought, hey, this is a crisis. And what we've discovered is that it was a crisis of policing and prosecution. We believe this is an unjust practice that's destroying the lives of black Detroiters, and it must stop. And not just that, but the 3% of the other white ones who are being charged with the same thing. Yes, it must stop. They've really done nothing wrong. And a matter of fact, enforcing these laws in Detroit is doing something wrong. It is a rank violation of the supreme law of the land, that constitutional restraining order known as the Second Amendment, where it says it shall not be infringed. And every one of those Detroiters being arrested simply for possessing a firearm, and they are having their rights infringed in a major way, being thrown into jail. And that is not right. It is every bit wrong. So the majority of people, 70% of them, arrested for carrying a concealed weapon, a five-year felony. Did you catch that? You face five years in prison for simply freely exercising a right you were born with without the state's permission. Said they legally owned their guns and were instead accused of improperly storing their guns while driving. Michigan is an open carry state, but the definition of what constitutes open is often misunderstood and also open for whomever's interpretation. Yeah. Let's hear from my buddy Anthony out of Counter-Strike Tactical, and we'll be right back and take a little trip to North Carolina. Strike Tactical, the best little gun store in Melbourne and proud sponsors of the Shooting Straight radio podcast. Visit us at 1008 Strawbridge Avenue for all things AR-15. Stop in and see the custom AR builds by Tony Vallejo, owner and combat veteran, plus go-to weapons, brand rifles, AK-47s, handguns, shotguns, ammo, AR and tactical rifle accessories, and more. Tony also offers laser engraving and Cerakoting. 
so stop in at 1008 Strawbridge Avenue, the best little gun store in Melbourne, Counter-Strike Tactical, or call 321-499-4949 and tell Tony that Roy said yes. Great guy out there. I thank Anthony for his service. And uh, he's a combat veteran. Great guy. Got a heart the size of Texas, and he will take good care of you. Make sure you do tell him you heard about him on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Now, as I have said so many times, and I hate being right, I hate repeating it, but the infringers of your rights are often the most lawless people. And yes, I'm talking about people in state legislatures. I'm talking about people in certain police departments, including definitely California. We've been talking about some of them recently. And in North Carolina, there's some skullduggery afoot where the, the, the uh, who is it now? Let's see. Oh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, they're fraudulently using COVID relief funds in order to pay for a gun buyback. And you know my thoughts on gun buybacks. All that is is compensated confiscation. That's really all it is. And by the way, if you ever seen some of the trash that people bring to those things in order to get a couple hundred bucks or a, or a, uh, a gift card for some new sneakers or whatever, uh, they're garbage. And they, and they never, they have never, ever, ever made a dent in violent crime. They are nothing but uh, this... It's a show. That's all it is. It's a facade. Hey, look what we're doing for gun violence. This was a wild success. We took in over 200 and some odd guns. Yeah. They've been sitting in people's drawers for probably about 40, 50 years. They're rust buckets. You bring them in. Or some gun that's broken. You don't get anything, anything good. You don't get any assault weapons. You don't get any high-quality firearms. People go, hey... That's more than I would get for this gun at a gun show. Well, I'm going to go on down there to the, to the gun buyback and sell it there. Another article by Cam Edwards. He said gun buybacks. I prefer the term compensated confiscation. Yeah, I stole that term from him. I, I plead guilty. They're a dumb idea in general, but at least most of the time, it's not taxpayer money being wasted. That's not the case in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Unfortunately, where your money, or more accurately, money we're borrowing that will have to be repaid with interest by taxpayers at some point in the future, is being used to fund a garbage gun roundup. That's a great choice of words, Mr. Edwards. <laughs> On, and that's this coming weekend. On November 20th, police collected more than 350 guns and paid out $50,000 for the day's buyback event using funds from the coronavirus local fiscal relief fund. None of the weapons collected had been reported stolen or used in a crime for that matter. The city now plans to host another gun buyback event from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and this happened two days ago, actually, at the Winston-Salem Fairgrounds Midway at 2886 Shore Fair Drive. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'll tell you again, I don't have to even read about what they took in. I'll tell you again, just like Mr. Edwards said, it's a garbage gun roundup. It's all trash. They're not doing anything to make a dent in crime. 
as we read, none of the guns were stolen on the last one. None of them had been reported stolen. That means they were not guns that had been stolen. That means criminals were not turning these things in because the majority of criminals get their guns from people who have stolen them or they steal them themselves. So let that be, let that sink in. Criminals are not coming out there and turning in their guns. The police department said the citywide gun buyback is part of a comprehensive effort to reduce gun violence. And here it is again, increase community safety. Come on, dude, come on. Really? How long have you been on the beat? I'm sorry. How long have you been on the beat? Do you really believe what you just said? Because something tells me you don't. I think you've got more sense than that. The second round of the program will continue to be funded through the Coronavirus Local Fiscal Relief Fund. Again, why are you using coronavirus funds to buy back guns? I hate the term buyback. Nobody bought their guns from the city in the first place. But why are you using funds that are supposed to be going to... And by the way, if, if COVID and the coronavirus is such a horrible pandemic, why are you diverting funds to stupidity like this? They're offering $100 for long guns, $150 for handguns, and $200 for assault rifles. Uh, I bet you good money you won't be paying out any $200 chunks. I'm going to check in on this later on and see what kind of action they might have had. City Councilwoman Barbara Haynes said in a news release, this was overwhelming support from the community during the first buyback program. Yeah, because the community is the only one that turned in guns and they're the law-abiding people. How are you making a dent in violent crime? In fact, the program was received so well that funds were gone within two hours of our start time. We were not able to buy back all the guns from the citizens who wanted to participate. With this second, larger effort, we hope that the citizens who missed out on the first opportunity are able to return and participate in the event January 15th. Did you catch that word? Did you catch the word that proves what I just said? With this second larger effort, we hope that the citizens, uh-oh, I think she's admitting there that law-abiding citizens are the only people turning in these guns. She didn't say the criminal element. The citizens, we're doing this for the citizens. We're making you safer by buying your gun back from you, even though we, we didn't sell it to you. That's right, the citizens who missed out on the first opportunity, are able to return and participate in the event January 15th. Hmm. Well, according to the U.S. Treasury, the Coronavirus Local Fiscal Recovery Fund has paid out more than $19 billion, primarily to local governments typically serving a population under 50,000. And clearly, there aren't that many limitations on how the money can be spent, including on programs that have been proven to be of no value whatsoever, as a 2021 study clearly demonstrated. And again, I say, no kidding. Of course, it didn't do any good. It can't do any good. Because only the law-abiding citizens are taking place, are, are taking part in these schemes. Wow. This is the stuff that fries my butt. I hate this, that... Too many of us, us law-abiding citizens, 
have been roped into feeling guilty about freely exercising our rights when some scumbag criminal does something bad with a gun. And then you set up these gun buybacks and us citizens are the, are the primary ones that come in and, and participate in them, if there's any criminals at all that do. And you think you're making a dent in violent crime when you're buying these guns back from, again, the most law-abiding demographic in America. Let me leave you with one more thing. This is an article by Ildefonso Ortiz and Brandon Darby, and it's just something I want to throw out there. Mexico unveils warrants in Fast and Furious gun scandal. (laughs) Warrants for who? Oh, yes. Drug Lord El Chapo, he's one of them. Mm -hmm. And so many others, but they're all Mexican nationals. And he throws it a blurb there. Run by the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, Fast and Furious was a failed operation that allowed thousands of weapons to be purchased by domestic cartel suppliers so they could be traced to the ultimate buyers in Mexico. Bull fertilizer. That is not what happened. Eric Holder ordered the ATF to concoct this scheme for one reason and one reason only. And the answer to that lies in something Barack Hussein Obama stated during his first campaign. And that was, he said, the violence in Mexico is due entirely to the flow of American guns down there. Well, if that's the case, how come you're pouring over 2,000 more so-called assault weapons across the border and into Mexico, unless it's still, so you could point later and say, see, look what they did. I told you this was true. Look at all these American guns that we're finding. Well, over 2,000 of them. I want to just run something by you that I've said on the radio before. Do you not think that Eric Holder and Barack Obama and all those ATF agents knew good and stinking well that those guns were going to be used to kill a bunch of people. Yes, they knew it. You can't convince me otherwise. Why would you allow these guns to get into the hands of dangerous drug cartels? Do you think they're just going to sit on them and put them in the safe and go, I got, hey, I got a new, I got me a new AK-47. I got me a new AR-15. Hey, look at this 50 caliber Barrett I got. Compliments of the ATF and up, up in America. They knew people would be killed with them. And yet they still concocted the scheme in order to make American gun owners and the American gun industry out to be the bad people. So he could point to them and say, they are the problem. And why do you suppose he might have done that? Again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Because he wants to disarm primarily conservative conservative Americans. He wanted to when he was in office. He wants to still, while he's now sitting uh, somewhere in Washington, directing the decision-making of Joe Biden. Yeah, and you can't convince me otherwise of that. Okay, let it sink in that a United States president and the attorney general and scores of ATF agents were perfectly okay with innocent people being killed. Well, some of them probably not so innocent, but they were okay 
with hundreds and hundreds of people being murdered in order to make political points. Do you realize one of those AK-47s that was sold in the Fast and Furious debacle there? And I've said it before, you probably heard me say it if you've been listening a long time. One of those ended up in the Bataclan Theater in France, in Paris, during that slaughter that took place there a few years ago. Yes, so these guns were also trafficked further than just to the cartels. This was not some operation that failed or went wrong. It went entirely as planned, period. I think if we're going to allow Mexico to sue our gun manufacturers, because they're, you know, I've told you they're trying to sue gun manufacturers here for the violence going on down there, <clears throat> I think we should also allow them to arrest our ATF agents and drag them back across the border into Mexico for trial and imprisonment because they were the ones that trafficked them. Oh, you think I'm being too harsh? People are still dying at the hands of dangerous drug cartel members wielding those firearms. I appreciate you hanging out with me on this episode of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast, and I will certainly see you on the next one. Until then, you know what I'm going to say. Keep your powder dry. Keep your firearm loaded and on your person. Keep your head on a swivel. Always be in the moment and never forget incoming rounds. Always have the right of way. Royce out. So turn it on.